This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Thanks for downloading the Let's Talk About Suicide podcast. This podcast is for anyone who has lost a loved one to suicide and will be focusing on the LGBTIQA communities. As the name suggests, this podcast discusses issues around suicide, which can be a tough subject to talk about, but it's important that we do talk about it openly. We want to provide support to people who are bereaved by suicide. In all of our discussions, we'll be conscious to use the appropriate language, and your self-care is important. Listening to this podcast may raise issues for you, and if this is the case, we'd encourage you to contact one of the following services in Australia. You can call QLife on 1800 184 527, Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can also find all of these contact details on the JOY website at joy.org.au slash let's talk. This podcast is produced in association with Support After Suicide, a program of Jesuit social services that provides support to people who have been bereaved by suicide, and Switchboard Victoria, which provides peer-driven support services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer and asexual people, their families, allies and community. We'd also like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wandery people of the Kulin Nation, and we would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and to extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are listening. If you're listening to this podcast anywhere in Australia, you're on Aboriginal land. Always was, always will be. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Suicide. My name is Hamish Blunk, and I'm your host for this podcast. Also guiding you through each of our episodes are our two wonderful experts. We've got Joe Ball, who is the CEO of Switchboard Victoria. They are also an LGBTIQA plus community leader, and use the pronouns they, them. And Dr. Louise Flynn, who is a psychologist and also the manager of support after suicide. We'll also hear from four brave people who have talked about their experience with a loved one who died by suicide. Bo, Lara, Peter, and Alice. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to deal with blame. Sometimes people can blame someone else for a person's death, or attribute someone's suicide to a particular life event or single issue. As you will hear, the cause of someone's suicide is not usually a single thing or event, but is far more complex. And it's also unfair to blame someone, even if it is the person who died. Here's Louise talking about the complexity of a suicide death. I think what we've come to learn about suicide is that it's actually very complex. You know, one of the things we say about it is that it's multifactorial. So it's never down to one uh, experience or one event in a person's life. Sometimes there is a precipitating event, like a relationship breakdown. But this always happens in the context of a person's whole life. 
there might be vulnerabilities they have because of early uh, bereavement when they were a child or trauma when they were a child. Or there might be a range of other experiences in someone's life that leaves them vulnerable when they face adversity later on. So I think um, you know the way to understand suicide is not to narrow it down to one event or one cause. It just really doesn't work like that. And if you consider the range of issues that LGBTIQA plus people have experienced in their lives, it is even more complex. This is Joe. Yeah, I think this is quite a delicate issue. However, I think, you know, all evidence points to the fact that homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, LGBTI phobia, um, bullying can certainly contribute to depression. And we hear those stories on our switchboard line and we hear about them in the news. I think that's irrefutable that, you know, that to be bullied and to be bullied for sexuality and gender definitely can contribute to anxiety, depression and suicidality. But I think that what's important there when saying that is to not conflate that with that if you are bullied for your sexuality and gender, that you are depressed and that you will suicide because that's not true. I think there's plenty of people who are bullied and can have be the victims of horrendous bullying and it doesn't equate to suicide. And I think that speaks to what Louise was just saying, actually, that suicide is so multifaceted. What's important there is that to bully people or to discriminate against people or to you know have sort of systematic oppression that happens to LGBTI people, it's not a cause and effect, but it's absolutely something we actively want to prevent for many, many reasons. And one of those reasons is that it can be a factor in suicide. But it's not something you can point to one thing and say that's to blame or that's the reason that someone suicided. No, um, and I don't think it's it's helpful to do that. I think what we can talk about is that it plays it can play a role amongst many roles in that person's life, and I think that's ev- the evidence in that is that two people can be the victims of um, homophobia. And they can have very similar experiences, but that doesn't mean... And But one person might suicide and one person may not. And I think we do see evidence of that. Um, and so I think it's really important to draw a distinction between that. But, uh, but I think it's within that, it's also... You still want to talk about the macro issues that actually we really want to stamp out bullying and we really want to stamp out stamp out LGBTI discrimination for as I said for the all for many many reasons, and one of that motivation can be suicide prevention. The other factor about LGBTI bullying is that it can lead to a range of related mental health issues and absolutely can contribute to people feeling isolated, ashamed of who they are loss of connection, loss of community, and they are also factors that lead to that lead to suicidality and can lead to suicide. So I think that's another way to think about it. When it comes to people blaming other people for a suicide death, Louise says that it's not unheard of. Yes, unfortunately, sometimes that does happen. Sometimes, say, after uh, there's been a relationship breakdown, uh, sometimes people can perhaps Uh, blame the partner like if the relationship hadn't broken down if there hadn't been a separation then the person wouldn't have taken their own life it's a very difficult experience for for a whole um, family and social network it does mean that there can be like quite a high degree of conflict sometimes between people who may have been close before there can be estrangement 
And that's um, it really just adds to the suffering really of the loss and also feelings of isolation. And I think um, it's unfortunate too because it is a misunderstanding of suicide to actually attribute someone's death to simply that single cause. Something that I've witnessed in our space is that people and families can blame someone's gender and sexuality identity on their suicide and that, you know, things can come up where people say, well, if he wasn't gay, he would still be alive today. If they hadn't been transgender, they would still be alive today. Or they can be like, oh, if they didn't find that partner, that's something that can come up because people can believe that, like, gay is because they is not something about who you are, it's about the person that you met. And they and so parents can be like, well, if they just hadn't gone to, gone to this event and met that person, then they wouldn't be gay and then they wouldn't suicide. And I think that's part of, I guess, what happens with after suicide is that we're looking for reasons and we're looking for blame. But what's really important is that we remember that people's uh, gender identity and sexuality is not to be conflated with suicidality. It's more, it can be the stigma and the things I was talking about before about factors. And I think that when families do blame people for their gender or sexuality or their partner's role in the suicide, I think it's it actually comes, in the case of LGBTI people, it comes from discrimination and, and LGBTI stigma and people bringing that to bear at a really difficult time. And wherever we can sort of counter that, I think is really important and is, is part of a sort of a movement for, for pride and recognition. And we must do that at every stage of people's lives, even after they've passed. That another way to sort of say it, perhaps, is that there, there can be an association between these things and or a range of factors and suicide. So there can be an association, but it's not a cause So being LGBTQI might mean that someone actually is discriminated against and isolated. So it's not that being gay is a risk factor. It's actually the isolation and the discrimination, which is the risk factor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is such a a hot political topic, I think, and, and really one worth discussing in the fact that people can then it can then lead to people can take the suicide statistics and suicidality and mental health issues in our community and blame our sexuality and gender for them and then use it to sort of further certain political gains like during discussions recently in Victoria about banning conversion therapy you know some of the advocates for conver- conversion therapy said well look at how it makes you sick. You know, look at how sexuality and gender and sex make you make you sick as LGBTI people. So therefore there's a there's room to have this conversion therapy. And I think, you know, that's a terrible um, way to use su- the suicide statistics against us and at all attempts must be used to sort of really, you know, that, that, you know, we must talk about suicide in our community, but we must not use it to be weaponized back against us. And that's what exactly it is when people start saying that, our, our gender and, and identities and our sexuality is making us sick and making us suicidal, that's, that's weaponising our lived experience back at us and, and that's certainly not what, what we want to, you know, to talk about when we're talking about suicide. And that's a really perverse way of looking at those statistics as well because there's, there's no way that they, you can actually draw that conclusion from that statistics either. No, it's there? flipping it. It's it absolutely flipping it. flipping it for it a political purpose and I, 
Well, this is exactly what we talk about when we talk about that we don't want to be political footballs anymore as LGBTIQA plus people. We don't want to be um, used to further political gains. You know, we just want to, we want to live our lives. People often say that the person who took their own life ultimately made that decision themselves, so they're responsible and should bear the blame. This feeling came up quite a lot in the interviews that we conducted. This is what Peter and Lara, two of our people with lived experience, said about that idea. But the guilt, I... I don't know. In a way, I'm not... I'm just not going to wear it. Because... Yes, we did everything together. Yes, we were together for 20 years and all that sort of stuff. But we were still, at the end of the day, our own people. And he made his choice. Um, I don't agree with it. You know, I don't agree with it one bit, you know. Um, But I can't feel guilty about a choice he made. Ingrid made a horrible decision that day. But Ingrid made that decision in those moments, unfortunately. And now we all have to live with that. But they were hurt. They were that was that was the decision that she made, I suppose. Or, I mean, she wouldn't have been in a clear space at all. So, I don't know. The guilt's hard. The guilt is hard. I asked Louise if it's fair to say that somebody made that decision. I think that um, what Peter and Lara have said there is quite reasonable. That they see that this person took this action themselves. They um, they went about taking their own lives. I think what we can add to that is that um, it's not quite a free choice or a free decision, I don't think, in most cases, that someone is making. They might be very compromised by their mental health, by the state that they're in, by the kind of feeling backed into a corner um, and beset by the psychological pain and suffering that they're in. So it's not, um, I don't think it's quite a free choice. I think the choice is a bit compromised. But certainly it is an action that they've taken themselves. Um, But yeah, I don't think we can say that it's a free choice that someone's making because of the state actually that they're in. And the state that they're in, how that affects their thinking, how that affects how they feel about themselves and the value of their life. I think those things are compromised, actually, when someone's in that state of uh, taking their own lives. The cause of someone's suicide is complex, and blaming someone, even the person who died, is unfair. Probably the most complex form of blame is self-blame, and that's what we talk about when we're talking about guilt, really. That feeling that you're responsible for their death, that there's something you did or didn't do that was the cause of their death. Guilt is a really big issue, And it's what we'll be talking about in the next episode. So please join me for that. But before you go, it's that part of the episode where I share with you some things that the people we interviewed with lived experience did to help them with their grief. Some things they did for their self-care. There are some practical and helpful things that you might consider doing right now, or maybe just draw in the back of your mind for later to help you through your bereavement. This one's from Bo re-establishing yeah relationships with um family family members i wouldn't say avoiding that i six months ago that i was avoiding um i just i think i limited how much time i would i would probably talk or 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 spend with them a lot of reasons why but um i would find when i sometimes when i 
did meet up with um, my family, um, often it was for an occasion like a birthday or uh, a baby shower, for instance, or something like that. Mother's Day really got to me one year last year Um, because I started to think, you know, what about Jeff's mum? You know, how is today for her? And then all of a sudden, it just hit me, and I just, I just felt, I just couldn't stop crying. You know, when these, those situations start to happen more frequently, I then avoided, yeah, spending time with family altogether. I did talk with my my mum especially um, about how I'm feeling and stuff, and the days that I'm not, you know, I haven't been feeling good. And then I think I explained to her that actually, mum. I did go home and I was, I was really upset. I, but I felt I needed to explain to her why I was so upset. And, um, and she was really understanding. And she said, oh my God, she said she felt bad because she, you know, she didn't, she didn't even think about it. And of course you wouldn't. And I said, no, mum, that's all right. It's, it's just something that I thought about and I, it got me really down. And, um, but by talking about how I was feeling and why I was upset, rather than just not talking about it at all. Family members, they think about things a lot more now around me. They were more aware of, um, oh, you know, how's Bo feeling or something. And I, I, it's nice that they, and I know they always cared, um, um, but... Yeah, I guess being a little bit more aware of my feelings and stuff and how I might be traveling and stuff. So what I find now is actually spending time with my family and being comfortable around these situations where, you know, uh, I don't know, everybody's happy and, you know, I should be happy too. I just, I enjoy spending time with my family and I feel good afterwards now. And I stay for, I think, yeah, a lot longer. You can download the other episodes in this series from joy.org.au slash let's talk or look for them in your podcast feed. And you can also download the full-length interviews with the courageous people who have shared their own stories. Thanks to our amazing experts, Joe Ball from Switchboard Victoria and Louise Flynn from Support After Suicide. And also to the people we interviewed with lived experience, Alice, Bo, Lara and Peter. Let's Talk About Suicide is presented and produced by me, Hamish Blunk, editorial assistance by Joy Program Director, Rachel Tyler-Jones, and technical help from Jack Trainor, Joy Production Manager. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at letstalk at joy.org.au. But if you need to talk to somebody right now or are in crisis, please contact one of the following services in Australia. QLife on 1800 184 527. Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details at joy.org.au slash let's talk. Until next time, take care.
Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.